The Tom Woods Show, episode 1595. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, the 2020 Contra Cruise promises to be the best one ever. Not only are we being joined by Dave Smith and Scott Horton, not only is there going to be a roast of Dave Smith, but we're also going to be joined by Phil Labonte, vocalist for the band All That Remains. Get the details and book your cabin at ContraCruise.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. All right, Walter Block Week continues. Remember Walter Block, professor of economics, Loyola University, New Orleans, author of over 600 peer-reviewed articles, absolutely unheard of, and the author of 30-plus books. And here we're going to talk about a fairly controversial but very interesting episode in Walter's life involving the New York Times. Walter sued the New York Times for libel against him. And I don't even want to start off with the details because I want Walter to tell the story. All you need to know going into this is that it has to do with Walter, the New York Times, and libel. And we're about to unpack that together right now. Walter, welcome back. Tom, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me again. All right. Now, this one, this is something people have been asking about for a long time. So I'm nothing if not flexible in terms of giving the audience what it asks for. And sometimes they ask for things and I just belligerently refuse to give it to them because after all, it is my name in the show. But now and again, I like to give people what they ask for. And they want to know about this uh, episode with the New York Times. And this is from years ago, but the fact that you wound up suing them, uh, people are, are fascinated by this. So we will get into the, a little bit later, we'll talk about the theoretical questions, right? The libertarian questions about this. But let's focus right now just on the facts of what happened to you, what the New York Times did. They were interviewing you, you answered their questions, and then they took one of your answers and distorted it. So you tell this, you're probably sick of telling this story, but well, it's too late. You're stuck here on the Tom Woods show. Got to tell the story. I'll have to disagree with you, Tom. I'm not sick at all. I, I revel in telling the story. It's a wonderful story. I'm delighted with the story because it really launched me into my uh, next career of writing op-eds. Whole, whole different story. In any case, uh, what happened was uh, Rand Paul was running for uh, president in 2014, 2015 for the 2016 um, uh, election. And uh, this must have been around 2015. And they interviewed me about Rand Paul and about what is libertarianism. I later learned that this was a hit piece on Rand Paul. And the argument against Rand Paul is that he hung around with crazy people. And I was one of the crazy people. And um, uh, there were maybe another 10 or 12 of us who were crazy people. And the reason we shouldn't vote for Rand Paul is he hangs around with these crazy people. He's associated with them. And therefore, he is evil and, and stupid and ridiculous. So they're asking me questions about libertarianism, and I try to give them, you know, economics 101 or, or rather libertarianism 101, the non-aggression principle and private property and Lockheed and homesteading theory and, you know, why we shouldn't have minimum why we shouldn't have uh, rent control and why free trade is good and uh, occupational license, you know, sort of baby libertarian stuff and, you know, why we should privatize the post office and, and legalize marijuana. Uh, I don't remember the specifics, but that was my recollection, and th this is five years ago now. And they weren't getting it. My interviewer wasn't getting it. And I'm not sure if he wasn't getting it because he was stupid, which I doubt later. I, I think he's a bright guy. And I think he, he wasn't getting it uh, because he wanted to show that I was an idiot. And so far, it didn't sound that idiotic. 
because I was just doing very basic stuff. So he kept probing and probing, and, and finally I gave him the atom bomb. I gave him, uh, and by the way, here, Murray and I disagree. This is one of the very few things where Murray and I disagree. I gave him the voluntary slavery uh, bit. I said, look, suppose my son, God forbid, had a, uh, a dread disease, a horrible disease, and it would cost $10 million to um, cure him. And uh, some rich guy wanted to have me as a slave, and I would go to his plantation, and I'd give him economic lessons or pick cotton or whatever. And... Um, and he would give me the $10 million, and I'd give the $10 million to my son's doctors and save his life, and, and it would be mutually beneficial, as all voluntary trades are. For example, I value my son's life more than my freedom, so I gain my son's life at the cost of my freedom, and the rich uh, zillionaire gains my uh, servitude or my slave, slavehood, servitude uh, for $10 million, and he values me being a slave more than the $10 million, so he gains also. And then I start saying, you know, slavery of this sort wouldn't be so bad. You could pick cotton and sing songs and give you a gruel and you live in a nice uh, cabin and, and stuff like that. And that was the end of the interview. And the, um, the piece came out, oh, three or four months later. And what they did is they said that Block favors actual slavery, not just this uh, theoretical uh, slavery, but uh, actual slavery. Now, I never favored actual slavery. And I have um, a paper trail where I uh, must have three or four articles where I favor reparations for slavery. I'm going to be having a debate with David Horowitz on this soon. I favored reparations for slavery. So if you favor reparations for the great-grandchildren of slaves, how can you favor slavery? So I have a, a long paper trail uh, saying that uh, slavery is evil. I mean, you know, I mean, slavery is about maybe the second worst thing in the libertarian lexicon. The, the, the worst thing would be uh, mass murder. So this was just a, a nasty uh, thing that the New York Times did to me. And then what happened was uh, the, um, the president of my university, by by gum, I was glad I had tenure. And my university said, well, Loyola, we're against slavery, and Block doesn't speak for us. Block is a maniac. Block is a nut. Uh, you know. And then 17 of my uh, colleagues wrote another letter, and they published this in the uh, local paper, the, um, the Maroon, uh, the Loyola Maroon uh, student newspaper, saying, you know, we disagree with Block. Uh, Block favors slavery. We don't favor slavery. You know, and then I wrote to the Times and I said, look, you know, I don't favor slavery. Can you please write a, a correction or, or let me uh, put in a paragraph or, you know, something? No, uh, we're, we're standing by uh, what we've got. So I then uh, try to get a lawyer to sue them. And now the question is, am I a public figure or not? Because if you're a public figure, it's harder to sue for libel. And then there's another problem. And the other problem is that, you know, the libertarian view on libel is – uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Know, well, let's get. Yeah. Uh, well, definitely, we'll get to the libertarian view on libel. I want to do that separately. Let, oh, let's okay. just. So. So let me before you go on. Uh, I want to make my own little contribution to this because I want to read, if I may, the letter that I wrote to the basically to the world, but to the Loyola community. I hate open letters to people, but it was a letter to the president of Loyola University. And now, how how was his last name pronounced? Um. W-I-L-D-E-S? Wilds. So it really was Wilds. Okay. So here was what I wrote. Um, you may remember my writing this. Oh, uh, yes, Larry Bean, just when I thought I had written the best letter of all, I read Larry Bean's letter. <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll take the silver. He can, he can take the gold. Anyway, here's what I wrote. Uh, and and th this is a little long, folks, but it's worth it because I, I, I look back on this and I think this is exactly what needed to be said. This is blogged on my website, February 10th, 2014. 
Dear Dr. Wilds, no doubt you have received quite a bit of correspondence by now about Walter Block. I won't rehash the main points. You are familiar with them already. I will say that I find it impossible to believe that you, an intelligent man, believe your own interpretation of Walter's remarks to the New York Times. You note that Walter's comment about slavery seems to run counter to libertarian principles. You don't say. Might that be an indication that the Times, which despises what Walter stands for, has distorted his views? A university president ought to support his faculty in a case like this, in which he knows full well that a professor has been grotesquely mischaracterized. If this were an accurate rendering of Walter's views, why was he considering a libel suit? Had Walter been a left-wing professor accused of Stalinism, would you have been so quick to denounce him? The question answers itself. This is why it is impossible to believe that any of this has to do with Walter's remarks. You are not a fool. You know Walter, and you know where he stands. He has never kept his views a secret. You owed him better, and you failed him. Now, it's true you did communicate to the university community that your views are the conventional and respectable ones, and that you are not to be confused with Walter Block. We got that. Some of your faculty, whom you should have rebuked rather than implicitly congratulated, treated Walter with a similar lack of charity. Since the substance of your and their claims have been dealt with elsewhere, and then I have a hyperlink linking to elsewhere, let me raise some relevant considerations. One, how many professors at Loyola University can say students have enrolled for the express purpose of studying with them? Two, how many professors at Loyola University can say they have co-authored scholarly articles with their students, not once or twice, but dozens of times? And of course, by now it's over 100. Number three, how many professors at Loyola University have a big enough audience that it would even matter if they urge students to attend Loyola, as Walter constantly does? Four, how many professors at Loyola University have over 400 peer-reviewed articles? See how old this letter is, Walter. Number five, how many professors at Loyola University would anyone anywhere in the country lift a single finger for? Number six, oh, and how many professors at Loyola University who preposterously accused Walter of, quote, sexism for denying that discrimination could explain the male-female wage gap dared to face Walter in an open debate? Their decision not to try to debate Walter is a fleeting sign of intelligence among them. Yes, yes, I got the message. Your faculty is against slavery. What courage they must have had to summon in 2014 to unbosom to the world their opposition to slavery. But I wonder, would people who ostentatiously announced their opposition to slavery in 2014 have had the courage to oppose it when it counted, say, in 1850? I have my doubts that people so desperate to assure the world of their conventional opinions and how appalled and offended they are by heretics would have been the sort of people to buck conventional opinion at a time when 2% of the American electorate supported an abolitionist political party. What I know for a fact is that Walter Block would have opposed it lock, stock, and barrel. That you simply repeated the New York Times' characterization of Walter Block without even conceding, as the Times did, that Walter believed slavery was wrong because it was involuntary, so your behavior was worse than that of the Times, which is no mean feat, is bewildering and appalling in a university president or indeed in a human being. Long after every name on that list of Walter's faculty critics is gone and forgotten, the work of Walter Block will continue to educate new generations in the principles of liberty. 
no one will recall the pygmies who attacked him out of spite or envy. And then I signed it. That's, I have to say on my own behalf here, that's a damn good letter. <laughs> well, I don't know what Larry Bean wrote, but boy, that's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> I'd have to read Larry's again. And uh, let me just say, Tom, that you and Larry uh, Bean were two of, I don't know, maybe a hundred uh, friends of mine, libertarians, maybe 200, who wrote uh, letters uh, attacking uh, Father Wilds or wrote to the New York Times. It's, it's amazing. The response was amazing. And of course, there are no answers to any of the questions I posed. They're all rhetorical. There are no answers to them. Before we go on, though, is there any part of you, though, that says to yourself, the New York Times hates me and it's looking for something to hang me with? And if I raise this example, even though I know how I mean it, and anybody you know with a pulse and an IQ above 50 knows how I mean it, but these people are hoping I hand them the, the rope to hang me with. Maybe I shouldn't have used that kind of example. Well, uh, no, I, I, I don't regret it. Um, you know, they say as long as they spell your name right, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, the New York Times, bless them, they spelled my name correctly. I have to hand that to them. And um, uh, because of that, I got a, a lot of notoriety and um, I greatly benefited from it. And I sued them and I had a lot of fun suing them. Uh, no, so I, I don't regret that at all. And I use that example uh, time and time again. And uh, if people don't like it, you know, um, too bad. Um, that's, just, that's the truth. I'm not trying to um, make it easy or, you know, when I first became a libertarian, like my book, uh, Defending the Undefendable, I'm not defending, you know, privatizing the post office. That's too easy. That's sort of like shooting fish in a barrel. I want to challenge uh, people who, who disagree with libertarianism. And uh, as I say, even Murray uh, and I disagree on this. And by the way, I think the only other libertarian that I know of that favors voluntary slavery is Robert Nozick. Well, there are a few others uh, that I have done some research and I found, but most libertarians don't agree with this. So I, um, I don't know, maybe that'll be one of my next books or one of my next articles or something. No, I don't regret at all uh, using this. And uh, because I'm after the truth and the best way to tell the truth about libertarianism, I think, is uh, the most um, out there uh, examples. Uh, I mean, if you just say, well, the minimum wage law is no good and therefore libertarianism is great. Well, you know, that doesn't distinguish libertarianism from non-libertarianism, but this voluntary slavery sure as hell does. And another point I wanted to add, you see, at that time, I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were just – they never mentioned Rand Paul. Later, I found out that that was – I was being used as a vehicle to attack him. I was, you know, a pygmy compared to Rand Paul. Uh, Rand Paul is well-known. I'm, you know, I'm well-known among libertarians, but uh, Rand Paul is well-known among libertarians and the general public. So they were using me, a pygmy, to get at him. I didn't realize that was the, their their goal, their purpose. Um, I was I thought it was just a straight sort of thing that they wanted to find out what libertarianism was. And to me, the, the best way to explain libertarianism is the most extreme uh, compatible with libertarianism. For example, uh, anarchism. Uh, I believe that the highest form of libertarianism is anarcho-capitalism. Minarchism and um, uh, classical liberalism are are libertarian, but they're they're not the most radical part. So when I explain, uh, when I give a lecture and I uh, try to explain what is libertarianism, I'll say, well, yes, there's classical liberalism of uh, Hayek and Friedman, and then there's the Constitution, and then there's minarchism of Ayn Rand and, and um, uh, Robert Nozick. But the highest value of libertarianism is anarcho-capitalism, which is a harder sell. Or when I'm trying to talk about legalizing drugs, I don't limit myself to marijuana. 
I mean, I don't take the easy way. If if I just said, well, we got to legalize marijuana, okay, well, that's good. You know, who could be against that? But but if you really want to uh, get across the the true um, power of libertarianism, you say, you know, if you want to put anything in your body, cocaine, heroin, whatever it is, you have a right to do that. So in all these cases, uh, I will take the the soft sell. The, uh, the legalizing marijuana or you know uh, privatizing the post office, but I'll also try to be a little bit more radical. And the way I started with these um, New York Times people is I started off on on an easy uh, libertarianism 101 kind of a thing. But then you know when they pushed me, I uh, I escalated and I don't regret it one bit. All right, so now let's get back to the story. So you uh, we'll get to uh, libel in libertarian theory in just a minute. But you did make the decision to go ahead and sue them. Yes. And I mean, what? I mean, eventually it ends with a settlement that you, obviously you're not allowed to, to discuss with us. Right. But what? What can you tell us about this process? Oh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, first of all, I had a hard time getting a, a lawyer, and I didn't want to be paying, uh, you know, two hundred bucks um, uh, per hour or five hundred bucks per hour. I wanted to get a lawyer who would take it on a consignment fee, namely take one third or one half of the settlement. And I wasn't really in it for the money. I, I you know, I, I just wanted to use it one as a vehicle to promote liberty, and two, I felt hard done by. You know, I felt the, the victim of injustice. And you know, I wouldn't have sued them if they would just let me have a letter to the editor and say, he, you know, you guys got it a little wrong. I don't really favor slavery. And then it would have ended. But they didn't do that. They wouldn't. They wouldn't even publish a, a stinking lousy letter from me. So I finally got a um, uh, a lawyer. Uh, Ward Lafleur, uh, who's now a friend of mine, and he's a libertarian, and uh, he doesn't usually um, take um, what he call a plaintiff side. He usually takes defense sides uh, for large companies, but uh, he did it as sort of a pro bono kind of a thing. And uh, then I had this uh, court, uh, Ivan Lamel, who turned me down. Ivan Lamel is a uh, judge in New Orleans, and uh, he threw out my case. And then we went to the appeals court. And uh, the appeals court um, supported me and said, well, let's bring it back to Ivan Lamel. And then Ivan Lamel again turned it down uh, for different reasons. I forget the specifics, the legalese. So finally, I decided to settle the case because I figured I would lose because it would have to be in front of Ivan Lamel again. So I uh, agreed to settle the case. All right. So it was settled and you are more or less happy with how it came out, but that's as much as you can say. Yes. But but now let's get to the, what's the libertarian, in fact, I'm pretty sure the libeler is one of the undefendables. Yes. In defending uh, the undefendable. So yes. how, what, what's the, what is in your view, the libertarian uh, position on libel and why did you feel like you were not bound by it or was there was some other extenuating circumstance? Yes. Well, again, I, uh, uh, everything starts. Uh, Jerry Tuchilli once wrote a book, It All Starts with Ayn Rand, or It Usually Starts with Ayn Rand. For me, it all starts with Murray Rothbard. Uh, Murray wrote somewhere about libel, and he wrote, you know, two pages or five pages or something on libel. And I wrote, you know, many, many more pages on that because I stand on his shoulders. And the idea here is what is libel? Well, libel is taking away someone's reputation. So now I say Tom Woods is a bum. And people listen to me because I'm a big shot. I have an endowed chair. And, and nobody's going to trade with Tom Woods. They're not going to hire you. They're not going to sell you goods. You, your life is over because uh, I libeled you successfully. And now you think, I stole something of yours. Look, if I stole your coat or your car, 
I wouldn't harm you as much as if I stole your reputation because your reputation, you know, if you sell a, a business, a hotel sells its business, the physical aspect of the uh, hotel might be worth a million dollars and the goodwill might be worth five million. Uh, and the goodwill is just reputation. So the argument in favor of libel laws is when you engage in libel, you steal people's reputation. People own their reputation. Their reputation might be their most important uh, possession, even more valuable than their house or their car or whatever. And therefore, we should put people in jail for libeling, just as, as if we would put people in jail if they stole a, a, a coat or, or a horse or a cow or a, a, a car or a house. So what Murray says is, and what I say, uh, echoing Murray, um, sometimes I'm accused of being a pale carbon copy of Murray Rothbard. Well, I'll tell you, I'm happy to be a pale carbon copy of Murray Rothbard because Murray Rothbard, he, he, he's Mr. Libertarian. He's a man. So the question comes is, well, what does Tom Wood's reputation consist of? And the answer is Tom Wood's reputation consists of the thoughts of other people, not him. Your reputation, Tom, does not consist of what you think of yourself. It consists of what we think of you. Do you own our thoughts? No. Therefore, we haven't stolen your reputation, even though uh, the word is called your reputation. It's sort of like my wife or, or my client or my customer. You don't own the customer, even though you use the possessive word my. So the, the libertarian point on libel is we should not prohibit libel. We should not uh, put people in jail for libeling because they are not stealing something from the target of their libel because that person doesn't own his reputation. It's a big paradox. Paradoxically, you benefit from having a good reputation. You can sell your company with goodwill for much more than the physical plant. And uh, so you benefit from having your reputation. You work hard for your reputation. You And, and another paradox is if we sue for reputation, the people like the New York Times or people who have uh, large megaphones, they're going to usually win these sorts of cases. So that's the libertarian case in, in favor of legalizing libel. Okay, so now I'm accusing the New York Times of libel. How can I, with a straight face or with a good conscience, um, sue them for libel when I think that they didn't violate my rights? Because, yes, they, they, they besmirched my reputation. There are students here five years later who still will not take my courses because their older siblings told them that I favored slavery and they won't take my courses. There were uh, two young black men who came by uh, and said, you're the MF who uh, favored slavery. We're going to get you. Uh, they, they hurt me. But they didn't violate my rights because I don't own my reputation. So how do I get around this? Well, I really wanted to sue them. I really wanted to sue them because they wouldn't even publish a stinking lousy letter to the editor. And I came up with another inside of Murray Rothbard, and it's called, um, the hell is it called? Ruling Class Theory. Bob Nozick one time sued his landlord under rent control, and the um, uh, National Review wrote a thing uh, criticizing him, and it was anarchy state and rent control, and they were making fun of him on the grounds that um, – well, you know, he's against rent control, and now he's assuming his landlord under the rent control laws. He's a hypocrite. So I asked myself, would it be possible for Bob Nozick to sue his landlord under the rent control laws? Would it ever be possible? And I concocted the following scenario. The following scenario is that the landlord punched Robert Nozick in the nose. And um, uh, Robert Nozick is weaker, and he couldn't punch back. And the only way he could sue him was under the rent control law. Would it be legitimate for Robert Nozick to sue the landlord under the illicit rent control law if that was the only way he could get back at the, um, uh, the guy who committed assault and battery? And my answer was yes. Now, how do I apply it here? Well, I said that uh, Salzburger is a member of the ruling class. 
the ruling class are a bunch of um, uh, bad people because they uh, are, are behind the state. They support statism. Uh, the New York Times is a mouthpiece for the state. This was my argument. And uh, But I can't get them. I, I can't go over and punch them in the nose or otherwise I'd be put in jail. Uh, just like when you go through the um, uh, uh, to the airport, they grab your uh, crotch and you feel like punching in the nose. But if you know, you know that if they do it, uh, you'll know, end up with handcuffs. But suppose that you could um, sue them for libel. Would you be justified in suing the um, TSA for libel? And my answer is yes, because they're part of the ruling class. Well, so is the New York Times. So that was my justification. And I published a long, long article on this, I think, in the LouRockwell.com. Uh, I forget where I published it. I think it was there. So that was my justification, namely that the New York Times is part of the ruling class. Now, look, if this was the Duckburg Gazette, and the Duckburg Gazette had uh, three employees and had no connection with the state, and, and they were you know, uh, not part of the ruling class, then I would not have been able to sue them and be compatible with libertarianism. Thank goodness that the New York Times was a part of the ruling class, and therefore I could sue them without violating my principles, even though I think that libel is a legitimate activity, and all they did was libel. Well... I'll have to I, I'll have to mull this over because of course I I also want to go after the New York Times and what they did to you is horrible. Uh, uh, it just seems like a big asterisk that like for example is not in your book and it seems like I mean in your shoes I'm not saying that I would have done differently. Maybe I would have said I'm going to go after these SOBs and maybe that's more important than being the world's greatest libertarian at that particular moment. I don't exactly know what I would have done, but I guess I'll say that. I certainly didn't lose any sleep when I heard that this was being done to the New York Times. I wasn't worried at all about, well, about I, their fate. I, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to sue them and I want to compa uh, be compatible with libertarianism. And I admit that I uh, struggled a little to come up a little bit to come up with a, uh, an excuse or a theory. But I think that the theory stands that, uh, look, take, um, take Hitler. Suppose I could punch Hitler in the nose. Would I be uh, justified in doing that? Yes. Because Hitler deserves a punch in the nose. He deserves a lot worse than that, but he deserves at least a, a punch in the nose. Now, suppose uh, Hitler libeled me. Would I be legitimate in suing him under libel if that was the only way I could get him? Well, yeah. I mean, Hitler deserves a lot more than being the victim of an unjust, otherwise unjustified libel suit. Notice how convoluted my mind is. I really wanted to sue them, and I had to come up with something, and I think I came up with something good. It's true that my motivation was not pure. Namely, I wanted to sue them, and I had to come up with a reason. But the uh, the um, a test of, uh, of what I did was not my motivation. The test is, did I come up with a successful way of um, justifying suing them, even though libel laws are illegitimate? And I, I think I could sue Hitler. Now, I'm not saying the New York Times like Hitler. But they're both bad guys, and one is way worse than the other. Uh, Hitler is way worse than the New York Times. But I think that you're justified, just as Robert Nozick would have been justified in suing his landlord for libel if that was the only way he could get back at him from that punch in the nose. Or take Rand Paul. Rand Paul was brutalized by his neighbor. Uh, he uh, uh, punched him. He snuck up from behind, and he punched him, and he broke his ribs. And and uh, and suppose the only way Rand Paul could get back at this guy was to um, – uh, sue him under rent control or sue him for libel or sue him in any other way that otherwise would be incompatible with libertarianism. I think Rand Paul would have been justified in getting him because libertarian justice consists of punishing the criminal. And if the only way you can punish the criminal is by doing something illicit, well, then, you know, I think it's okay. Uh, All right. That is illicit to the bad guy. Right, right, right. 
Well, I was going to raise some more stuff on this, but I think let's call it quits for today because I want to get myself mentally prepared for, if not quite I, I just, a lightning... I just, I, I, just want, I just want to add one more thing. Yeah, please There's do. This guy, uh, Gillespie, Nick Gillespie from Reason Magazine. Yeah. I was, I was in a debate uh, uh, with him in the Soho Forum, and uh, it was a debate on something uh, completely different. And, you know, uh, as debating people do, he stuck out his hand and uh, wanted to shake hands. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't shake your hand. Why not? Because in Reason uh, Magazine, you put in that I favored slavery. And he said, well, I was only um, uh, quoting the New York Times. And by the way, uh, Kevin Wiles, the president, he never called me. I tell you, if, if I were the president of the university and, Tom, you were quoted in the New York Times favoring slavery, the first thing I would have done is called you in my office. Of course. Say, I mean, th- these say, people are so Tom, vile. But, Tom, please tell me that they misquoted you. He never called me. And, and the same thing with Gillespie. Now, Gillespie knows that I'm a libertarian. I don't favor slavery. So he apologized. But there was one or two people in, front, uh, in a group of one or two. And I said, look, your insult was public. How about apologizing publicly? And he never did. So I'm not a big fan of Nick Gillespie for that. Yeah. And to have, I was just quoting the New York Times as your, <laughs> as your, as your argument is pretty, pretty weak. All right. Uh, this is interesting uh, and good stuff. I'll, um, I seem to recall, did you do a write-up of this after it was all over? Well, um, I don't know if I did a write-up of it was after all, but I did write a thing why I'm justified in suing him for libel, even though uh, libel should be legal under the libertarian uh, legal system. Okay, all right. So I'm going to link to your article on that on the show notes page, which is tomwoods.com slash 1595. All right, get ready. Next episode is like a lightning round. So prepare yourself, Walter. I'm ready. All right, tomorrow, as we wrap up Walter Block Week, I'm going to go through Walter's list of publications, which is really long, and just find some interesting outlier topics that I've not heard discussed before that need more discussion, and we're going to talk about them. So more fun with Walter Block coming your way tomorrow. See you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.